Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, um, was known as John the Baptizer. We, we call him John the Baptist. That wasn't his first and last name. They call him John the Baptist because he was a baptizer. And his message that people in their act of baptism uh, were embracing, they were saying, I agree with what he's preaching. And so they were baptized in the name of, of John the Baptist or in his baptism was a baptism of repentance. All right? So basically, when somebody was baptized because John's message was stop doing this, start doing this, and do better, and turn over a leaf, basically that was his message. And so when people were baptized, their, their stance was, or what they were saying in essence was, I'm going to stop doing things, I'm going to start doing some other things, I'm going to do better and I'm going to turn over a leaf. Um, Last week, we had a baptism in here. And that baptism was not the baptism of John. We believe in repentance because it's a New Testament doctrine. We believe in it, but that is not the baptism that we are, uh, that is connected with the Great Commission. The baptism that we saw last week was a baptism of identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Actually, it is saying, without him, I can do nothing. There's no better way that I can try to be without him. So that baptism is a different baptism. In the world that we are in right now, it is very common and very, um, you'll see it here, there, and different expressions of it, that there is um, a fight for a, a discrimination against different parts of people's identity that they feel is under attack or not being appreciated. Actually, this fight for identity and against discrimination of identity is something that people have done, you know, all down through the time. It's just more known now and uh, in so many different areas of people identity, there's quite a, a scrabble for that. There's nothing wrong with that in, this, in the sense of there are some things that must be righted that have been wronged, but I, I want to contrast that for us as believers today, just in what the Word of God is bringing to us today. Real Bible Christianity, and I, I underscore that Bible Christianity, the one that we're going to see starting in um, when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and then the day of Pentecost, true Bible Christianity doesn't save your identity. It does not save your identity. It gives you a new one. It gives you a new identity. 
So the spirit of this age, we could say um, the, the attitude that's in the world, the current that's in the world, the antichrist spirit has this underlying message. It always has. It's always brought the spotlight to me, my best version of me, how I can live my best me. That doesn't sound bad, but it isn't just about me. It's me without God. So the spirit of this world exalts man and actually diminishes God. If he's there, he's just barely indiscriminate, not really definable or not. So let's look at the church on fire. We're going to start with something that John the Baptist said when people ask him, are you the Messiah? They could tell that something was really weighty about this man. And they wondered if he was the Messiah, even though he was not a man who did miracles, there was something extraordinary about John the Baptist. And they asked him if he was. And John the Baptist said this. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. So that's the baptism of repentance. Do better, be better, turn over a new leaf. Baptize you unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Uh, go ahead and, and put on that uh, picture. What John was saying in the last verse that we just read was a description of a process in harvesting. Harvest is not just bringing, for instance, if it's wheat, as this is, not just bringing wheat from the field. That's only one step in the harvest process. Because as you can see, these shafts of wheat uh, are not what you put on the table. You can't chew on those shafts of wheat. The process keeps going until actually from those shafts of wheat is going to come flour. You're going to make bread out of it and other things. But this sh these shafts of wheat have something other than the kernel that we get flour from. They also have what is called chaff. And you can see it there on the left-hand side of the picture. That's chaff. That's inedible. It's necessary in the, or it comes in the growing process, but it's inedible. For us to process wheat to make it edible, you've got to get rid of the chaff. And over on the right-hand side of those shaft, shafts of wheat are kernels of wheat. 
in our life were harvested from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And our spirit is like that kernel. It's made in the image of God, new creatures in Christ, righteous. But because of life and the impacts of different things, our soul carries some chaff. Our minds carry some chaff. Not every thought that goes through it is from God. Not every feeling that you have is from God. There's different things chaff-wise that are a part of a harvesting process that John the Baptist says the Holy Ghost and fire deals with. There's other parts of this harvesting process with the winnowing and the fan and the, the, shaking, the shaking and all that. We'd get into that at another time. It's very interesting how that's all apart in a picture of sanctification. But what we want to hone in on today is the chaff. God knows the things that each of us, and there are different things that each of us deal with. It's never, ever scared him. He's figured it into the process and the working that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Let's look at Jesus' baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about when he was baptized himself. I'm talking about the baptism that John the Baptist said he would do. You know, last week, um, uh, Pastor James was in the water and was baptizing and... and um, uh, there could be somebody who baptized you. and um, But in this baptism, Jesus baptizes. We see this baptism in its initial time. The first time it ever happened was 50 days after the resurrection. And now we're in, in, the, in the middle of, you know, that time of Passover and resurrection and and the day of Pentecost will come again, a feast day, a Jewish feast day. When it happened, when Jesus raised, after Jesus raised from the dead, Acts, the second chapter says, on the day of Pentecost, in verse 1, starting in verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together and there were 120 of them in one place. Uh, sometimes I've, um, I've gotten to go to Israel and have been uh, in what they said could have been the upper room. They're not sure that it was, but it could have been. And in this room, just imagining 120 people in there uh, praying and waiting for what they didn't know could not imagine was going to occur, except that Jesus said, don't you leave Jerusalem with what, without what you're going to get in that room. So let's see what happened. He said, suddenly there came a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Go ahead and put that picture up. So this is an artist's 
you know, maybe an idea of how it could have looked. What we do know from Scripture is that the fire that came and sat on each of their heads, it didn't just come on Peter's head or James's head or John's head, one of the, one of the, the main disciples. It came on all 120 individually upon their heads. And as a result, what happened was 3,000 people were born again. So salvations were uh, characterized by a baptism in the Holy Spirit that was marked and characterized also by fire that came from heaven, something remarkable that came from heaven. There were salvations. You read from that inaugural time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, miracles began to uh, happen more and more. Joy, joy was a characteristic of, of the church on fire. A church on fire is not a sad church. Church on fire is not just making it from here to there. A church on fire is one that is full of joy, so much joy that the people wondered if they were drunk in the middle of the day. They were also absolutely radical givers, radical givers to one another, to the purpose of God. It is, a, it is one of the characteristics of a church on fire. Now, one of the things that this fire did for the church is it empowered them. You can put up that next picture. There is, with the fire of the Holy Spirit, empowering capabilities. And we'll talk about that. In this rocket, this rocket would have taken a lot of time and effort and a lot of equipment and making. But no matter how perfectly it was put together, there is no way that this rocket lifts off, even an inch off of the launching pad without extreme power. And if this rocket doesn't launch, then it absolutely doesn't serve the purpose that it was created. A rocket is meant to be launched. It's meant to break Earth's orbit. And, but to do that, it requires an incredible amount of power, of fire. This is what I found on this. It says, to give SLS this type of rocket extra power to get it off the ground, two five-segment rocket boosters built by Orbital ATK tower more than 17 stories tall, and they burn six tons of solid propellant each second. And they help this rocket break free from the clutches of the Earth's gravity. I'm going to say that one more time. Six tons of solid propellant each second is burned to get it off of the ground and into orbit. There are things 
that as the church, God intended, the head of the church intends for us to do and to accomplish and to function in, that will never be realized without launch. Will never be realized without power. This power that burns, they said this rocket fuel actually burns. You can see the glow of it. Burns at uh, 2,760 degrees Celsius. Very hot. A whole committee, a whole stadium full of footballers with all their muscles could never, could never even move this rocket. let alone help it achieve its purpose. All the human ingenuity, ideas, good things, amazing purposes and plans of humans could never launch the church to the heights that we're to function in in God. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit and fire. Another thing the Holy Spirit and fire accomplishes that nothing else can is it transforms. You can go to the next picture. Tony is from Ohio. Ohio and Pennsylvania are some of the most notable states for uh, the making of steel. They're not so so much so anymore, but... Um, uh, the way that they make steel is they take iron ore and coal and they put them in these great infernos and they bring the temperature to 1,700 degrees Celsius and it melts down that iron ore and coal and transforms it into steel. Without extreme heat, you don't get steel. Without extreme heat, these two, these two elements remain as they are. They may even just get hot. But until there's this extreme heat, steel is never achieved. And steel that builds buildings and ships and is able to withstand tremendous strain we use steel, but what makes steel is heat. Transforming heat. Peter, before the day of Pentecost, he was such, so pathetic. And I, I don't say that accusing because I, I've been as pathetic. He, under, you know, the pressure of perhaps being persecuted, he could see that things were going amok for, for Jesus and he's put on pressure by a young girl and he, he denies he even knows Jesus. And he'd been the closest, one of the three closest to Jesus. Under the pressure from a little girl that may open the door for more persecution, he denies he even knows him and then even cusses to prove that he's not a follower of Jesus. After the day of Pentecost and that fire of the Holy Spirit, he becomes the 
spokesman of the whole church. And he stands up and preaches, and 3,000 people are saved. There's another one, another benefit that Holy Ghost and fire gives that we can't get from any other thing, and that it, it, it purifies. Gold is taken out of the ground. I'm from Colorado, and that was a gold, a gold state. You know, people rushed there to get gold. You can get gold out of the ground, nuggets out of the ground. There's veins of gold in the ground, but it's not pure. If you want pure gold, then you have to use heat. 1,600 degrees Celsius to burn the impurities out of gold so then it becomes pure gold. There are things that have affected every single one of our, our minds and our feelings, our emotions, things that we've seen, experienced, things that the devil made sure happened to you in an effort to keep a contamination in your soul, not your spirit, not the kernel, but in your soul. But the Holy Ghost and fire can separate it all. A church without fire will then have to start making modifications. The beauty that God intended for the church to have is this glowing on fire people that look like him. The scripture says in Ezekiel, when, the, when Ezekiel saw him in a vision, he said, I saw a man that was on fire from the waist up and on fire from the waist down. So the people that represent him, if we're in a cold state, actually misrepresent him. So we have to make bigger signs and <laughs> we have to do our best to make modifications. All the modifications in the world can never replace what we are intended and destined to be. Romans the 8th chapter says that our destinies, which they are individually, may be unique. They are definitely unique. But collectively, we are ordained to look just like Jesus. Tony and I living in, in Europe, especially in, in Italy, my goodness, there would be some churches. We'd go in, and honestly, you just... Maybe not him so much, but for me, because um, I was I was raised in Pentecost, and some of those churches were quite plain. So you can imagine, I went to Italy, and I'm like, yeah, "This is amazing." But you know, in the Book of Acts, people looked at the church on fire and did the same thing. It wasn't a physical building that took their breath away. It was a group of people that said, they took note that they had been with Jesus. 
the results of the first fire, which we've already said was, you know, miracles and salvation and extravagant giving and joy, the results of the first fire brought a second kind of fire. And the second kind of fire was a pushback or retaliation against the first kind. The first kind of fire that we saw that uh, came on the day of Pentecost through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, it brought a pushback from the kingdom of darkness in the way of threats, intimidation, and sparks of persecution. This second kind of fire that came out of the mouth, I believe, of the, the God of this world when it saw light forcefully advancing, like Tony was talking about a few weeks ago, we are to forcefully advance the kingdom of God. And we do that through using our mouth and not keeping our hands in our pockets, but we use our hands in our mouth. But if we do, there will be a pushback from the kingdom of darkness because we've invaded the dark. Persecution and that kind of fire didn't come from God. It didn't come from God. It came as a pushback, a retaliation against this forceful advancing of the kingdom of God. But what happened was, is the church, rather than buckling to the persecution fire that was coming at it, they went to prayer and went to God. And Acts of fourth chapter gives us an example of the very first time that they did this. And the Bible says that they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. We see the prayers that they prayed. The persecuted people prayed. They didn't pray for, for them to be even protected or helped. They prayed for boldness that God would pour out his spirit and that signs and wonders would be done by the name of the holy child, Jesus. So in other words, when hell tried to fight fire with fire, the church just went to the head of the church and they got more fire. Fire from heaven can never be extinguished by fire from hell. And so what happened? They were refilled, and what happened was there was more generosity, and there was more miracles, and there was more salvation, and then guess what? There was more persecution. But the church was launched, and it went everywhere, and we see from the Scripture, and then now from history, that persecution has never hurt the church. It has never hurt the, uh, in the cause of Christ when the church goes to the head and receives more fire. It becomes a propellant that launches it higher and higher and the church actually thrives. There is something that neutralizes 
pulls the plug on the church. And that's when you try to be like the spirit of the world and what's in the world so that there is no pushback in that. Jesus gave a promise, beautiful, in John the 10th chapter. He said, I have come that you might have life. Don't you like that? And life more abundantly. It's a part of our message that he gives life and life more abundantly. And he said so many beautiful things in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I'll tell you something else. Jesus also promised resurrection and all kind of things. As about as many times as he promised resurrection, Jesus also promised persecution. Pretty much skip over those ones. <laughs> but this morning, we're not going to skip over that. We've been looking for a few weeks on what the Bible has to say about suffering because we've just lumped it all together, and it isn't lumped together in the scriptures. There's different reasons and different things about suffering, and we've been talking about it, the intervention uh, that compassion has to stop and to, uh, to intervene into human suffering. Tonight, we're going to pick up, um, tonight in the uh, Sunday night, we're going to pick up and see how justice, the justice of God, intervenes into human suffering. But let's look what Jesus had to say about persecution for the gospel, for dispensing light and love and life. John, the 15th chapter, Jesus said, and this is a promise, he said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of their own if you belong to it. Does anyone in here want to belong to the world? They would love you if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of it. Jesus is telling us here this morning, we aren't a part of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. I chose you to come out of the world so it, it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me. Naturally, they will persecute you. And if they'd listened to me, they would listen to you. The promises of persecution actually are from the apostles as well. You can't hardly read one of the letters written to the churches without reading something about persecution. First and second Peter were pretty much written to a persecuted church. In second Timothy, Paul was writing to his spiritual son and he said, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't know, that sounds like a promise to me. That's not the kind that we usually line up for. But if there is not a pushback happening to us in some way, if there's not a pushback, 
have there has there been a altering a lowering a hiding of the light that is within us i like that little song that children learn to sing and i i believe we could sing it no matter how old we are hide it under a bushel this, you know this little light of mine hide it under a bushel and then children do this no i'm going to let it shine hide it under a bushel no i'm going to let it shine our goal in life is not to get everyone to love us our goal as believers is to go into all the world and preach what bad news is our job terrible because we have to tell people terrible things no we even get good news and it brings life it brings help and deliverance to people but when you do that you make yourself an enemy of the lord of darkness the lord of death and he'll try to shut you down but we're going to do just what the early church did instead of going and down and hiding under we're going to be coming up 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 more into the presence of god talking to him more and more and more and getting more and more and more on fire look at acts the 20th chapter Paul was saying here the holy spirit testifies in every city he was on a mission trip and he was itinerating here he said the holy spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me and then it goes on to say and so what i've decided to do is to go undercover for a little while and just kind of hide out and try to you know just kind of wear wear uh, clothes uh, you know roman soldier clothes or pharisee clothes and kind of just blend in and kind of lower this persecution it's not what paul said he said none of these things move me nor do i count my life dear to myself so that i may finish my race with joy let me just say this If there's any desire in you at all to finish your course with joy those kind of things can't move you. And the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. It's a good message. persecution didn't shut him down it didn't turn him down it didn't make him apologetic or hesitant he leaned into it jeff was given the verse of scripture this morning when jesus knew what was awaiting him in jerusalem he didn't say come on boys let's let's see if we can go to the outer rim of samaria or someplace we did some nice things there maybe they'll take us in when he knew what was facing him he said his face and said let's go this is the one that we call lord this is the one that we're named after and so to serve self to serve me save me it's all about my life and what i like 
doesn't look like him at all. Nobody killed Jesus in the sense of took his life, snatched his life. Jesus was very plain about that. He said, no man takes my life. The reason Jesus gave his life, and we celebrated it last week, the reason Jesus gave his life is because his father said there was no other way that you and I could come to him. He said, so you go. The cross was about not martyrdom. The cross was about obedience. And so Jesus launches this new race through laying down his life, not through just being his best him and believing God and claiming angelic intervention so that he didn't have to go to the cross. The way of following Jesus has so much glory, has so much resurrection power, but you cannot access that kind of power with self-serving. You can't access the glorious power of the Lord Jesus Christ with it's all about me. Jesus said no greater love has a man than this, then he lays down. We don't wait for people to take our life. We lay our life down. You say, how do we do that? I mean, does that mean we're all going to have to die? And Well, in Australia, there are places in the world where they are, and the church is thriving in all of those places where they are. But in this country where it is not so, we do. We lift up our lives to God. We can say, God, what do, what do you want me to do? Yeah, I have a list of all the things I would like to accomplish in my life, but what do you want me to do? That's our laying our lives down. Revelation 12 and 11, let's read a familiar verse of Scripture. Good one. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Don't we like that verse? What a powerful verse. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And most of the time, we stop the verse right there. But that's not the end of the verse. It keeps going. For they love not their lives even unto death. There is an overcoming that requires resurrection power. I'm not just talking about redemptive rights that are already ours. I'm talking about kingdom usage of power. It doesn't just secure healing for yourself or deliverance for yourself. It sets the captives free. We sang it in a song this morning. I want to sing the name of Jesus, shout it from the mountains. Yes, I want to shout it in my own house and have victory in my own house. But how about our communities? How about our country? There is great power needed to accomplish kingdom missions and purposes. And that great power is not something 
that is combined with human ambition. The Holy Ghost and fire separates out from human ambition, separates out from a human greed for power, separates out that I want to be seen and I want my name to be known and I want to be famous. The Holy Ghost and fire purges all those things. And the only thing that stands in the end is something that Paul said in Galatians, the second chapter in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He is so powerful. I'm talking about the head. His body is to be no less. Last week, and if you guys can please come, last week we um, had a baptism. And it's always so precious because it can, be, it can remind us of the time that we made a public demonstration. I've decided to follow Jesus. I have claimed um, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm saying I died with him. I was buried with him. And I'm alive, but I'm alive for his purposes. I'm not alive for the purposes of my friends. I'm not alive for the purpose of my family. I'm not alive for the purposes of anybody else. I tell you, when you're alive for his purposes, it makes you the best person for your family. It makes you the best person for your friends. But it is not you're serving them. You have one master, and that is Jesus Christ. So last week, you know, the, the, all the people that got baptized, they had on their T-shirt, I have decided. I love that. So strong. I have decided to follow Jesus. Sometimes when we have said that, it's like, do we really know what we signed up for? <laughs> um, you know, this is the last Sunday before Tony and I are going to be it seems so serious and like oh, a really serious word. But I'm telling you what is in my husband and my heart. We talk it in our own home and our and our pastors and our elders, our leaders, and among people that I've talked with in our church family, there is a yearning and a hunger for what only God can in the lives of people. There are bondages that there is. If there was a hundred years of therapy, it couldn't crack it. There is a power that comes out of God that can and does break chains. I'd like us, I saw it last week when we were, um, we would sing that song, you know, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. Andrew and the team were singing that song and I thought I want our whole church to sing I could hear our whole church singing that
I have decided to follow Jesus. What's on the other side of people really following Jesus? I can't really tell you. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some. I've seen amazing and glorious and miraculous and uh, power of God. But what I'm sensing in my heart in the days ahead, it'd be kind of like the guides that are on that spaceship. And you say, what's it going to be like when this thing launches? Well, you tell you what, once it launches... There's a power. It's so sweet. So amazing. And takes you in places to see things that honestly, guys, you don't want to just look at it in a magazine and online that it's happening somewhere else. We want it right here. Right here. Right here. And listen, and from here, not just here, from here, from here. Praise the name of the Lord. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.